Well, it's good to be with you today as we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hope that you're ready for that. Um, this is a passage that for us, um, as we jumped into it last week, we started to look at something that really helps us in gaining perspective on what love is. Now, this is why I think today can be challenging. So I'm just gonna kind of just call it out. I think today is gonna be really challenging for us. Um, I've already done a very, very effective job upsetting some people. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is being a spoke, is spoken to by Paul from Ephesus, likely his second letter, even though it says first. And he's writing to a bunch of people in the church that are so captivated by their abilities and their talents and look at what I'm good at, that they're not living for Christ in the community. And he is rebuking them saying, this is the way you should be living and you're not doing it. So then he looks at them again and he's telling them, this is what love actually is. This is, this, 1 Corinthians 13 is not this, this novel fantasy of, oh man, yeah, love is patient and love is, it's so cool. Like it's so, odd. no, it's not, this not, it is the standard. It should be the norm for the believer. First Corinthians, it's no different than first Timothy chapter three, where it talks about the roles and responsibilities of elders and deacons. And it's like, hey, there should be above reproach. It's actually though regarding, it's, speak, it's speaking to everybody. Your standard is to be above reproach, to be selfish, to, to be serving of Christ and not of, of your, the individual. I mean, it just steps in and talks about the fact that you shouldn't be greedy and you shouldn't be, all these things. It's the norm. First Corinthians 13 is the norm for the believer. It's not some cool, romantic, novel idea that we've made it. It's the norm. So what that means is this, if it's the norm, that means that you're already doing everything you can to become like this. And if you identify anything in your life that is not already that, you wanna rip it out. So here's what I'm gonna do today. I was just gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you a bunch of scripture again. It's if you're a believer, and I know the majority of people here are believers, people online, the majority are believers. It's one of the most important messages you can hear. So right away, if you're a believer and you wanna be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is a yes, everybody say yes because that's Romans chapter 12, be renewed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. If that's your goal, you should be scribbling notes furiously. This is the only time you have permission to take whatever your neighbor has to use it for yourself. Take the pen, take the paper, whatever you gotta do. Because I'm telling you now, if this is going to help us understand the real reality, the reality that we should be living as Christ and how we're not living as Christ. I'm gonna give you some passages that are going to relate to all types of places in the word of God. You're gonna go, why is he doing that? Because it shows you the significance and the importance of it. When you go, wait, it's here and it's here and it's here and it's here and it's here. And then it tells us in these three verses, it, shows us, it tells us seven things that love isn't. I'm gonna unpack those seven things. And it's gonna give us four things you better know that, that love is. This is what it doesn't do, this is what it does. So that means if you know that you identify with the, some of the things that it doesn't do, you go, uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. That's what you should, spiritually you should go, oh, love isn't, love isn't rude. I would yesterday, oh my goodness, I know that they were, it took them eight minutes to get me my chicken tenders, but I was mean. Like it said fast food, it was slow food and it really just ticked me off. 
No, love doesn't do that, Jack. It doesn't do that. Not the love of Christ. And so you're going to identify those things and you're going to do everything you can to rip those out of your life as we look at this passage today. So this is, this is going to help you understand the significance of this today. One first passage, we already know that love is the overarching great commandment. That's Matthew chapter 22, 35 through 40, 36 through 40. We know that it says we are to, I spoke about it last week, love, um, we are to love the Lord our God with our, of our what? Heart, mind, and strength. We know this. So we go, oh, wait, the greatest commandment we have is to love the Lord our God. So we better know what that type of love looks like, not only toward him, but toward other individuals as well. We know that love produces the fruits of the spirit. That's Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. Galatians 5 is walking in the flesh or walking by the spirit. And if you walk by the spirit, you're going to produce the fruit of the spirit. That's all Galatians chapter five. And Galatians chapter five, verse 22 through 23, unfolds that for us. We are able to see it and says, love produces these things. So now you can go to Galatians five. That'd be a fun thing to do and just go, is my love producing this? We know that love is the garment that, that really um, the character of Christ is wrapped in. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. We know Second uh, Peter 1, 5 through 7, that love is the top of Christian growth. So understanding Christ-like love is that that's the like, ooh, yeah. Romans 13, 8 through 10 tells us that love fulfills the 10 commandments. Romans 13, 8 through 10 fulfills the great commandment, uh, uh, the great, uh, the 10 commandments. And we know that that's found in Exodus chapter 20. And it, uh, it lets us see all of these things that the people of God must be living toward. And yet we see very clearly that love fulfills the 10 commandments. It's only out of this depth of love that we can have. And we also know that love is the foundation for Christian living. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Love is the foundation for Christian living. And so here's this passage that's going to say, wait, this, this, all that should say, this matters a lot. If I'm to live out the fruits of the spirit, if I'm to live out the greatest commandment, if I'm to live out the 10 commandments given to us, if I am to reach out and really have Christian growth and to, to live as Christ would live, if I don't understand what he's going to say today, I'm messed up. And if you think you've already arrived perfectly and you have no problems in your life and you have no sin in your life, you're already in such a dangerous place. Please step away from me a little bit. And so here we are in 1 Corinthians 13, four through six. I wanna read this again. I know you've already stood for it. So you can stay seated if you want to today. And I wanna read this and pick up wherever I don't say a word, you say a word. Fair? Yes? Lots of participation today. Get ready. Love does not, or it is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist that it gets its own way. It is not, anybody have a brother, sister, spouse that's irritable at times? Raise your hand. Anybody been irritable today? Raise your hand. I'm just, right? I'm just... I, literally, I mean, I'm saying at the coffee bar, they're like, can we get our coffee faster? I'm like, are you kidding me? You're paying two bucks for a cappuccino. We're doing the best we can. Because you go to Starbucks, it's $17. <laughs> no. 
It's, uh, some of you are irritable. Love isn't resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Rejoices in that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of God. So right away, I already told you how we're going to unfold this. Seven things that love is not doing, four things that love does do. Here are the seven things that love is not. So they're there in scripture for you, but if you want to write them down again, there it is. Um, It's not going to be envious. It's not going to be boastful, arrogant, rude, selfish, irritable. It's not going to be happy with wrongdoing. Um, There's other ways to unpack this, honestly, because some words are so similar to these things. But let's just go ahead and dive in and look at these things right away um, because we know that love, well, love doesn't envy. That's the very first one. When we start thinking about the big sins out there, can anybody call out what's a big sin that we think is really just, ooh, ah, murder. By the way, more, did you know that fewer and fewer people think that murder is wrong? You want to know why? Because we stepped away from the truth of scripture. The more you make more of self, the less you will care for others. But envy's horrible. A murder is one of those. Adultery, horrific. Some of you are like, oh, not really. Oh, it's bad because you're destroying the fabric of what God has given us in order to exemplify love. Marriage is the greatest way for the world to see, wait, love is willing to do what? But envy's right up there with it. You're going, really? Yeah. Envy can be the most damaging of all sin. Come on. All right. That's where you should go. Everybody say, prove it. Okay, oh, sure, thanks. Genesis chapter four, three through eight, is what caused Cain to murder Abel. Genesis chapter 37, 11 and 28, what we find is that envy is what caused the brothers of Joseph to actually sell him into slavery because they were jealous and envious of him. And so they sold their brother into slavery Jerks. Right? I mean, we go, oh, that's envy did that? Envy put Jesus on the cross. You go, oh, where does it say that? Okay, fine, I'll tell you then. Thanks for asking. Matthew 27, verse 18. For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. So if you struggle with envy in your life, you're going, oh, no, wait, the Christian norm the Christian norm, the standard for living as a believer in Jesus Christ is not to have envy in my life. I have some envy in my life. I got to get rid of it. God, help me not to be so envious. Help me to have gratitude for what I already have because I don't have to have more. And you just call it out. You got to acknowledge it because some of us struggle with envy. Very first thing he says, I'm going to go quick, but the very first thing is don't envy. Love does not envy Love doesn't boast. I told you I'm going to go quick. Second one, it's not boastful. Here's an easy way to think about what it is to boast or not to boast. Love gives because it loves to give, not out of a need to receive attention. You don't have to make it, you know, some people are like, hey, I didn't want to make a big deal out of the gift that I gave to you, but it's got like an eight foot bow and a banner on the top of it. Sometimes we want to give because we want to make much of ourselves. We really don't care that much about giving to love them. But some of us, we want to boast. We want to be like, hey, look at what I've done. We learn boasting from an early age. Early, and you're going, friends, small things determine the big things. I remember being really young and 
and I'd brag about certain things. And um, the one thing I'm actually somewhat decent at is I'm a pretty good shot you like guns. So I grew up, like, not just in the South. I grew up deep, deep South where I would sit out on the swing in our backyard and just peg squirrels with a 22. right? Makes you a good shot. I, I was a guy who the pond in our front yard, as long as the alligator wasn't more than four feet, you really didn't worry about it, right? So I'd swim in, I'd be like, one swim right by me. I'd run home. I'd be like, mom, check this out. Look what I did. I almost, I almost touched its tail. She's like, you're going to die. It got really bad in my life when my mom finally just said, will you please stop telling me what you do? Because it's causing me to have a permanent twitch. But like, I would brag on those things. And you're going, what's the point? Because very early age, we're like, oh, look at what I did. I took out four squirrels with the 22 from 100 yards. And we start, we're bo- we start to boast. We even know how much our desire is to boast. I still do it. My wife came home the other day. She said, what'd you do? I was like, cut the grass. Looks good. You see the strike? She goes, no, I don't care. Because she doesn't. Does not care one bit. But we just, we have this natural tendency to boast. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But guess what? The, the, the standard for Christian living, it doesn't boast. Anybody, Anybody here ever struggle with envy? Raise your hand. Anybody ever struggle with boasting? Raise your hand. So we're all in a heap of a mess right now. Can we just acknowledge that? Right now, you should be going, "Uh uh-oh. Yet if this is the standard, that means this is in my life. I can't live according to the standard if these things are present. Love isn't arrogant. First Corinthians always speaks about this. It says that knowledge, it says knowledge puffs up. So some of you, you're just, you, you automatically think you're the smartest person in the room. Here's realness. Here's, here's authenticity for you. As some of you may be in your life, you've stood in front of somebody, you listen to them talk, and you're, you're just thinking to yourself, I'm so glad I'm smarter than they are. Some of you may be thinking that right now. And you can just think that, you can, you can keep that inside and repent because you need some Jesus. but yet it tells us that love isn't arrogant and it's not puffed up. That means you don't think more of yourself than you should. So you may be thinking that and what God is telling is you can't represent me the way I intend for you to represent me because you're so full of yourself. It doesn't, another way to think about arrogant or, or puffed up, it, doesn't, it means that you don't go around and parade yourself. Look at me, look at me, woo! And we do it in all kinds of ways. We don't even recognize how much we want to be heard and seen. It's not like this anymore. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I, we all know me well enough, I probably will. Um, I, it's like the person who you have to hear their car speakers, even though you live a mile off the road. Like, okay, I, I hear you. I know you're coming. Good for you. Good job. Right? I get wanting to play some music loud and stuff, but I'm like, sometimes it's like when it automatically rattles my windows, there's a, I'm like, come on. I, I know you're there. I see you. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Yeah. Everybody over the age of 35. 
That's what that says. Everybody else is going, how dare you judge me? Right. But are you doing it because it's actually like, okay, you, you just, man, you want to sit in that and yeah, this is awesome. Or it's because you want to make sure everybody hears you. And so you buy a subwoofer that literally doesn't fit in the trunk of your car. It's the same type of, you just got to at least examine this stuff. Love's not rude. Here's the easiest way for me to describe not being rude. Christ-like love means you have the spiritual capacity to be wronged without retaliation. There's some things that God tells us and I'm like, "Did did you have to go there? You can be wronged without retaliation. Because to retaliate is to be rude. To retaliate isn't showing the love of Christ. Number five, love means you're not selfish. That means you don't stomp your feet when you don't get what you want. No. You, don't, you don't do that because it's not, love isn't selfish. Paul communicates the same idea. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, give honor, give, give honor to other people's preferences. Honor. Not say listen and tolerate them. Showing honor is not just listening and tolerating. It means you allow for other people's preferences to truly matter to your life. Philippians 2 verse 4 carries the same thought, right? It says, let each of you look not only to your interest, but to the interest of what? Others. And so you're not selfish. You're simply trying to serve other people. It's, it, this is being like Jesus in a most basic way. Being other-centric, right, rather than self-centric. And so you're not selfish. Like some of you are already going, I, this is what we're, you already know, we're going to eat this today for lunch. And you don't even care what other people want. And you're going, these are small examples, but small things determine big things. Like I've already determined, my family, we will have a cheeseburger at lunch. There is no other better food group. And so if you have that mentality, you're not going to even go, hey, what do you really want? And, and, and you don't care about what they desire. You want to get what you want, no matter what. That's being selfish. And yet love is saying, if you really want to carry the standard of what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not selfish. And guess what? You're not irritable. You don't have to get what you desire. Again, this is the standard. If this is the standard and you're struggling with one of these things, your response should be rip it out. Get it out of me because I so badly want to represent the the love of Jesus Christ that I've got to get rid of this because it's like a cancer. It's a cancer. All of these things, I'll go back, even go to envy. Here's the thing with envy. Envy is so similar to pride. I always say, if you don't have a plan to fight against pride, you're going to fall to pride. If you, have, if you don't have a plan to fight against envy, you're going to fall to envy. One of the greatest ways you can help with all of these things is start celebrating when others receive something positive. 
I have a friend of mine who just got a giant promotion. And when I say giant, I mean giant. Like it's, it's massive. And I just started celebrating. I called him back. And I just started praising God for it because he's worked so hard. And his response was, I haven't gotten this response from anybody else. I usually get like, that's not fair. I'll work hard too. We don't even know how to rejoice with other people because we're so focused on self. We're so focused on what, well, this is not fair. It's what I want to get. I mean, I worked just as hard as they did and they didn't even know, like I had nothing and they even had other people help them with stuff and I didn't have anybody help me. Why don't I get that? And so we don't even rejoice with other people when they receive something awesome in their life because of arrogance. It's pride and it creates envy. And as a result, we're rude and we become arrogant because we're puffed up in ourselves because we think we deserve more than they get. Relate, anybody. You know, wake up, hello, like we're participating. You're not here to spectate. We're here to collectively join together in worshiping a creator. Friends, our lack of loving at this standard is why the world is so confused when they look at the church. Because we profess something that we don't demonstrate. Oh, love is patient. Mm. Love is kind. It's not... It's not going to be rude. It's not going to be envious. And then they see us just hold grudges. Hang on a second. I don't, like I hear all this stuff from believers and Christians in the church. And yet like they're some of the meanest people I've seen. They want to, like they bring up stuff from five years ago. This is the standard that we're to be living by. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13, it's more of a rebuke than anything else. Your irritable, he says, I don't be provoked. You don't think that being provoked or irritable matters. Friends, uh, Numbers, Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 through 11. Moses is kept out of the promised land because he was provoked by the people of God, by the Israelites so much so that it caused him to be kept out of the promised land. Like, think about that. That's what it led to. Hello, everybody say hello. Like, get it, you need to get it. It never rejoices in wrongdoing. Like internally, have have you ever been happy when something wrong has happened to someone else? Like, have you ever said that's what they get? Even if you didn't say it out loud, you're like, "Mm, mm, I told them. I, just, I think we need to be, can we just start, oh, can we start being honest? If you struggle with being honest about where you are with Christ, you will always struggle to represent Christ. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm eager to tell people I'm a sinner and I'm more eager to tell people, but I have salvation through Jesus Christ. I have grace and I have hope and I have eternal life through him. But you can't do that if you're not gonna be honest about your current condition because love doesn't rejoice in somebody else getting hurt. Here's another way to think about it. Love puts away the hurts of the past rather than clinging to them. Love puts away the hurts of the past rather than clinging to them. And some of you are going like, you don't know what they did to me. You, you'll remind someone of what they did to you years ago. 
Like, come on, we got to move forward. It doesn't mean, listen, if somebody wrongs you financially, it doesn't mean you keep putting in charge of your finances. I'm not saying that, but you can forgive and even forget in many regards to say, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to be exemplifying, emulating the love of Jesus that he had on the world. Otherwise, what Jesus would have done is he would have looked at that cross and he says, nope, I'm out. They're not worth it. Aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't say, nope, I'm out. I ain't going to do that. But yet love, it says, rejoices in the truth. Rejoices. I think that's a word that we sometimes overlook. We don't like that very much. I think that's why some of you are like, man, the guy's like, he's just so, like so much passion. I hear this. this is, it, the scripture says we should be passionate and zeal for and with full of zeal and fervor. It tells us that we should rejoice in the Lord numerous times. Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. And we, we come and we sit with a straight face and we go, okay, that's neat. And then we just live the same life again. Yet we are to be emulating the same love, same sacrifice that Jesus Christ showed to us. We're confusing the world because we're claiming an all eternal love and living no different. It doesn't make sense. I know that's going to offend some people because scripture tells me it's going to offend people. Okay. But not to live according to the word of God simply because it offends someone else doesn't make any sense to me. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude or selfish or irritable. It doesn't rejoice when somebody else is hurting because they deserve it because actually we're envious and we're full of insecurities. Does anybody have any kind of conviction today? Because I've preached this three times and every time I'm convicted in a different way. And then it gives us a few things that love is. So those seven things, I could probably break them down in eight things, different ways to look at it. But then it says, here's what love is. Yes, love rejoices in the truth. We know that, but it says four more things love is. It is strong, believing, hopeful, and enduring. Charles Spurgeon calls these four virtues, love's four sweet companions. I love that. Love's four sweet companions. Big fan of Spurgeon, of course. I've, all, I've read a lot of his material and I'm like, man, this is so cool. It's strong, believing, hopeful, and enduring. Here's what scripture says exactly. As you look at it, it says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I really wish that sometimes it said, love bears some things. Love believes some things, endures some things, but it doesn't. But I think we act like it does. I think we can sometimes choose when to be gracious. We can choose when to be forgiving. And so what we've done is we've taken the, the perfect word of God and we've altered it to fit our agenda. I'm gonna forgive this, but I'm not gonna forgive this. I'm gonna bear with this, but I'm not gonna bear with this. I'm gonna endure this, but I'm not gonna endure this. It doesn't say that love will bear some things. It says love will bear all things. Christ didn't die for a few of your sins. He died for all of your sins. 
Like that causes a reaction in our life. I just don't think our face tells anything of the sort. You know that story. It's like, ah, oh, the joy of the Lord. I just want to tell people, tell your face. Tell your heart so that your neighbor will go. They are different. Man, I mean, we can get so upset with people. I have a friend, he's furious right now because literally his neighbor built the fence that he wanted him to build so it would look really good. So it doesn't look like on one side, it's actually the backside, right? You know, it's like, oh, that's just such a horrible fence. And he thinks it's like four inches on his property. And he's furious because it covers at least 10 feet. I don't think he tried to do you wrong. Well, yeah, but man, I, I pay taxes on that. I'm like, collectively, it's literally eight square feet. I will pay the taxes on your eight square feet. But we so are, we're so easy to claim what we think is right toward us, never showing forgiveness and grace toward others. And yet love, this is the standard. This is the standard that it's talking about, bearing all things. The word bear, uh, when it says bears all things, it's the same word for covers all things, by the way. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It says, and above all things, above all, it says that same thing. In 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things, once again, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover, that cover, same word for bear. Love will cover a multitude of sins. It's powerful. So love will cover that sin that's been made against you. Love will bear all things. Love will believe all things. I think we can struggle with believing all things because we have started to buy, we, we buy more into the lies of the world rather than the truth of scripture and the word and Jesus. Love hopes all things. Love has confidence in the future. If love hopes all things, and remember biblical love is not wishful thinking. Biblical love is the certainty in who Jesus is. And so if love hopes all things, oh my gosh, I'm just gonna upset everybody today. It's friends, it's real hard to be a, a pessimist and love Christ. I'm not saying you can't be, blah, blah, blah. But it's real hard because it says love hopes all things. So that means you always believe in the reality that Jesus can redeem anyone from anything at any time. And if that's hoping in all things, it's real hard to always be a pessimist. It's not gonna go well. Do you know what we're even trying to do? Not really, but it's gonna mess up. Oh, you got those people in your life? It's gonna go wrong. Do you know what we're really trying to do? Nope, it's gonna go wrong though. It never goes right. Okay, sure, great. Woo, this is a fun life. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. A lot of it, we can bear a lot, we can believe in a lot, but man, bear all things and endure all things. Like, oh, and really? means it doesn't ever give up. You stick with it. And I think one of the reasons we can struggle with living out the seven and not the four, <laughs> the reality is because we haven't received that same love that we should be demonstrating to other people. And we step in and we play a game and we try to live as good people, yet we know the word of God says, no one is good, no, not even one. And so we know that you can't earn salvation, but we know that it is a gift through Jesus Christ. And we haven't actually embraced one, our understanding of our need for a savior. You're not all that. 
And because we don't think we really have a need of a savior, it makes it really hard to show the love of Christ to other people because you have pride and you have envy in your life. Some of you today, you're not gonna get this message until you recognize that you need to actually put your faith in Jesus Christ, a savior who's worth giving your life to. That's called the gospel. But you're thinking, no, I know my way of living. But yet this passage, again, it's the norm for the believer, says that, wow, we're gonna set a new example for the world around us. It means you can't walk out of this place and not go, oh, like this is so, it's a great commandment. It's all these other things. Like it's how we live out the 10 commandments. It's the standard of all Christianity. And I have rudeness in my life or I have resentfulness in my life or I'm irritable all the time. I better go do anything I possibly can to rip that out of my life so that I can live as Christ desires. That should be your response to the truth of scripture. Not go and just do your own thing, come back at five o'clock, get some kettle corn, chill out, worship a little bit together because you think it's really good sound system. And so then you leave and go live your life again. We gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. It's another way to think about it. Who's one person that you need to show biblical love to, Christ-like love to, like this, this week? Because we can hold on to stuff, can't we? Friends, biblical Christ-like love, it's countercultural. Please hear this. I want to, I want to read this to you. Christ-like love is countercultural. The behavior and the action, it's a, love is, is an action. The behavior, the action that is produced by Christ-like love is countercultural. It speaks against envy and pride and self-centeredness because we live in a society that preaches self self-awareness and self-esteem and self-acceptance and just whoever you want to be. And yet let me tell you now that the love of Christ presents in a way that lives for others, not self. Christ is the example of this that should be emulated. And the envy and the boasting and the rudeness that we can have in our lives and the anger that we can have in our life is turned upside down when we ourselves have experienced a love that we know we don't deserve. Right away, I'm gonna tell you that if you think that you deserve what Christ did for you, you are so mistaken. We do not deserve it, but it is a gift through the heavenly father that he would allow his son to die for us. The tomb is empty and we can rejoice. We can celebrate, not go and live our life the same way. We're confusing the world around us because we're preaching and claiming a gospel that we are unwilling to live out. And so we tell people what they've done wrong to us and we're unwilling to forgive them. Guys, you've got to recognize we're worthy of damnation, but now we have salvation through Jesus. And so the envy and the boasting and the rudeness and the anger of life turned upside down and the patience and the forgiveness and the love begins to radiate deep from our souls and it begins to splatter and to drip on everybody around us. 
So much so that we're willing to forgive those who have wronged us. Why? Because it tells us in the very last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that this is the more excellent way. This is the more excellent way. So yeah, have we been prideful? We have been. Have we been arrogant? We have been. Have we been bitter towards someone else? We have been. Some of us have even weaponized something that has been said to us in order to reject having to deal with the struggles in our own lives because of the insecurities that are so prevalent. Friends, we have to stop claiming a love for Jesus we're unwilling to demonstrate. It's confusing. So that we can be easy to forgive. Easy to forget even how we've been wrong. Easy to forgive and forget and surrender. Easy to rejoice and to celebrate the love of Christ. Friends, here's the reality. The more you understand your own need of a savior, the more you can celebrate his love with others. Some of you need to accept the love and the passion of a savior because you finally recognize your need of one. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14 says that the love of Christ compels us. Second Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ compels us. It's like, oh, it, that, that, it forces you to do something. You may not be comfortable with it, but it, it compels you. That's what it, it's like it's gonna push you forward anyway. Two questions for you. What does the love of Christ compel you to surrender today? Arrogance, pride, some way that you've been wronged in the past. What does the love of Christ compel you to surrender today? And second, who do you need to forgive because of the love that you have personally encountered? If you don't surrender how you have been wronged, you will be held captive to the person who did you wrong. love of Christ that overwhelms the world for people to see something that is so majestic and authentic and genuine. This is why we started singing that song today, The Jesus Way. Come on up here, Munden. This is is Pastor Munden. I don't think I've ever referred to you as Pastor Munden. Probably will never happen again. Don't get used to it. This is my friend, Pastor Daniel. That sounds more natural. Um, and a week ago, I came to him. I was like, hey, do you know that song, The Jesus Way? That's a cool song. It's all just like, when people do me wrong, I'm gonna love them anyway. And he's like, yeah, I know it. And I said, we're gonna play it. He goes like, when? I said, like next week. And he said, okay. And he chose to love me in that time. Thank you. Um, that's what this song is all about, right? It's all about, and when people wrong me, I'm gonna show 1 Corinthians 13 love. When people do me wrong, I'm gonna show 1 Corinthians 13 love. When I don't like what other people do, I'm still gonna show them 1 Corinthians 13 love. And we start to live that out in such a significant and such a powerful way. And so we wanna sing that chorus with you again right now. 
As we do so, I wanna pray for you and then we'll sing this together. Will you stand with me? God, may we know what it is to love with your type of love. May we know what it is to embrace a biblical love. May we be more concerned with living according to the love of Christ and making sure that we have all the answers. May we not be arrogant or puffed up. May we not be rude or selfish. May we empty ourselves to others because you have emptied yourself to us. And may we celebrate who you are.